bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Or perhaps, I should say, Government Shutdown Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 1st, 2013, the first day of fiscal year 2014, which means it's also the first day of the government shutdown. I'll start this week's podcast with an update on what happened last week, this weekend, and last night, as the President and Congress unsuccessfully tried to avert a government shutdown. I'll also begin a discussion of the short-term consequences of the government shutdown on the low-income housing, new markets tax credit, historic preservation, and renewable energy communities. From there, I'll turn to our traditional discussion sections. In renewable energy tax credit news, I share new guidance from the Internal Revenue Service about qualifying for the production tax credit. I also describe a recent wind turbine purchase that would not have happened if the tax credit had not been extended. Then, in our low-income housing tax credit segment, I'll share an announcement from the Federal Housing Administration that it is taking approximately $1.7 billion in subsidy from the Treasury and that it's revising fiscal year 2014 mortgage insurance premium amounts. In this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, I share a letter that two congressmen are circulating among their fellow representatives that ask House Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp to make the New Market Tax Credit program a permanent part of the tax code. Finally, in our historic tax credit discussion, I'll review a recent report from the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Historic Tax Credit Coalition about the effect of historic tax credits on African-American communities. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I begin today with an update on the fiscal year 2014 budget, or I should say, lack of a budget and lack of funding. As listeners probably know, Congress was unable to agree on a continuing resolution to fund government operations beyond the end of fiscal year 2013. That fiscal year ended yesterday on September 30th. So here's a brief summary of Congress's efforts, unsuccessful as they were, at budget legislation. The Senate passed a continuing resolution late last week and sent it to the House. That bill would have funded the government through November 15th at an annualized level of $986.3 billion. The House then passed an amended version of the continuing resolution over the weekend. The House version included two contentious amendments, one that would delay the implementation of the Affordable Care Act for one year, and another that would repeal a tax on medical devices authorized under the Affordable Care Act. The Senate then rejected those amendments and sent back a clean funding bill to the House. And then as the stalemate dragged on, we did start to see a number of agencies release contingency plans to provide guidance on agency operations in the case of a government shutdown. And then yesterday, uh, just around midnight, the Office of Management and Budget 
sent out their own guidelines announcing to the various agencies that they would be shutting down. And most agencies have employees coming in this morning to implement the shutdown. At the time of this recording, it's unclear how long this partial shutdown will last and how a compromise could be reached. There is some talk of a resolution in a day or two. Others believe it won't be resolved until the debt ceiling is reached and there is a larger agreement among the House, the Senate, and the President. To follow these ongoing developments, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. I regularly post links, updates on Twitter to this situation. Now, in terms of the new market tax credit, uh, historic preservation, low-income housing, and rural energy communities, how is this shutdown likely to have an impact? Well, I guess I should start with what impact it has on the IRS more broadly. For a number of our clients that we're working with on IRS audits, for instance, those audits will be suspended. Now, in terms of tax filings, October 15th due date will still be in operation if you're e-filing. You can also still file paper returns, but the processing of those paper returns is likely to be delayed. And for clients of ours who are looking to the IRS for guidance in certain areas, regulation writing, private letter rulings and such will be delayed. Looking on the renewable energy tax credit side, of central concern is processing and ultimate funding delays of cash grants. Looking at the low-income housing tax credit, private letter rulings and other guidance requests uh, most likely do get delayed. And on the historic tax credit front, speaking of delays and guidance, that anxiously awaited historic boardwalk hall guidance now is that much more likely to get delayed. And similarly, applications with the National Park Service for various approvals in one's effort to generate historic tax credits likely gets delayed. If you have other thoughts on possible delays, please let me know. You can simply send me an email to cpas at novaco.com or just respond to me on Twitter. Now, I did want to also note some of the consequences at HUD. Nixon Peabody, in their affordable housing alert, had a great summary of some of the key aspects of interacting with HUD during a government shutdown. According to Nixon Peabody, funding is available for tenant-based Section 8 assistance and the line of credit control system would remain open. However, HUD notes that funds are only available until December. Hopefully, the shutdown won't go anywhere near December. Nixon Peabody also notes that HUD will continue to make payments under Section 8 contracts, rent supplement, RAP, Section 236 IRP, and PRACs where there is funding available. And HUD will continue to renew and fund Section 8 and PRAC contracts where there's budgetary authority available. If you have additional information, Nixon Peabody encourages you to contact your Nixon Peabody attorney. could be Deborah Van Amringen, Stephen Wallace, Monica Sussman, or Richard Price. Once again, I encourage you to email your government shutdown questions to cpas at novaco.com or reply on Twitter.
In renewable energy news, I have more begin construction guidance from the Internal Revenue Service. Last week, the IRS issued a notice to clarify beginning of construction requirements that it released in April. The guidelines apply to production tax credit projects and projects claiming the investment tax credit in lieu of the production tax credit. Now, regular listeners will recall that I mentioned the possibility of this guidance in the September 17th podcast. The American Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012 stated that a taxpayer can claim the tax credits for renewable energy facilities that begin construction before January 1, 2014. Notice 2013-29 said that a project must meet one of two requirements before the January 1 deadline in order to meet the begin construction test. A project must begin physical work of a significant nature or pay or incur 5% of the facility's cost. Prior guidance said that the IRS requires continuous construction until completion. The Treasury Department and the IRS have received several questions about these provisions since they issued the notice in April. They have since issued Notice 2013-60 to address these concerns. This recent notice provided clarifications in three general areas. Continuous construction, master contract rule, and transfers after construction begins. In the area of continuous construction, the notice said that if a facility is placed in service before January 1, 2016, it will satisfy the continuous construction test or the continuous efforts test. Regarding the master contract rule, Notice 2060 clarifies that the master contract provision contained in Notice 2013-29 applies to both the physical work test and the 5% safe harbor. Regarding transfers after construction begins, in terms of changing ownership, the notice allows taxpayers to transfer a facility after construction has begun without disqualifying it for the tax credits. Now, these clarifications are very important in giving renewable energy investors and developers the confidence to move forward with projects, albeit they are a bit technical. You can find a copy of the notice at www.energytaxcredits.com. And I also note that the Begin Construction Guidance will be a topic of conversation at the Novogratic Financing Renewable Energy Conference. The conference is November 7th and 8th in Washington, D.C. If you haven't registered yet, I encourage you to do so at www.novoco.com events. We're also pleased to announce that Senator Pat Roberts, a member of the Senate Finance Committee, will be providing a keynote address. And if you have more specific questions about the start of construction ruling, I encourage you to contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, here in San Francisco, or Tony Grapponi in our Boston office. Now let's talk about how the production tax credit is affecting business. The extension of the production tax credit continues to spur investment in wind energy projects. Recently, Vestas Wind Systems, a wind turbine manufacturer, announced that affiliates of Renewable Energy Systems Americas, Inc., or RES Americas, placed an order for wind turbine equipment and monitoring devices. This order would provide enough equipment to produce 60 megawatts of wind energy. RES Americas will install the equipment at wind energy developments in 2014 and 2015. RES Americas may also by additional equipment from Vestas for future projects. That sale could eventually include equipment capable of producing more than 600 megawatts of power. In a press release announcing the sale, Chris Brown, 
president of Vestas' sales and service division in the United States and Canada, said, and I quote, Transactions like this underscore the value delivered by the production tax credit and the importance of extending it beyond its current expiration at the end of 2013, close quote. President and CEO of RES Americas, Susan Riley, said that the extension of the tax credit influenced the company's decision to buy the equipment. She said, and I quote, This is a great example of how the start of construction language in the current production tax credit for wind energy is generating increased spending and creating U.S. manufacturing jobs. This purchase, which we expect to increase as these projects move forward, would not have occurred but for the decision Congress made to qualify any projects that start this year. Close quote. Projects that begin construction by the end of the year, as you know, can qualify for the production tax credit. Unfortunately, beyond that, the credit's future is uncertain. And that's why it's so important for industry stakeholders to tell Congress how valuable the credit is. A few bills to extend the production tax credit have been introduced in this session, but we haven't seen any movement on them recently. Now I'd like to turn to Congress again for a moment. The House Committee on Oversight and Government Reforms Subcommittee on Energy, Policy, Healthcare, and Entitlements planned to hold a hearing on the Wind Energy Production Tax Credit. The hearing was originally scheduled for tomorrow morning at 9.30 Eastern Time. Given the government shutdown, that meeting is likely to be rescheduled. I also note that at the time of this recording, the specific topics that the committee wanted to discuss, as well as the witness list and testimony documents, had not yet been posted. Tune in next week to hear more updated details about this House hearing on, or scheduled House hearing on wind energy. In local housing tax credit news, I remind you that Novogratik is holding its 20th annual Low-Income Housing Task Credit Conference here in San Francisco later this week. At that conference, we will be discussing the impact of the government shutdown. Now, turning to other housing-related news, I'd like to note that the Federal Housing Administration last Friday sent a letter to the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. The letter was sent by Assistant Secretary for Housing-Federal Housing Commissioner Carol Galanti. This letter said that the FHA would be required to take a mandatory appropriation of approximately $1.7 billion on September 30, 2013, yesterday. Now, in the letter sent last week, Carol Galanti said that the exact amount would be determined based on FHA's receipts through yesterday, September 30th. Now, FHA's need to take the subsidy from the Treasury was not a surprise. President Obama did include it in his fiscal year 2014 budget proposal. The amount of the subsidy, though, is higher than anticipated. Why? Well, the Federal Credit Reform Act of 1990 requires every credit agency have sufficient reserves to cover 100% of anticipated future losses during the next 30 years. They need to have these as of the end of a federal fiscal year. Galanti said that the higher amount is a result of a decline in FHA endorsement volume, basically new loans, in the last few months of the fiscal year. This decline reflected broader housing market trends. It's also consistent with FHA's goal to reduce its market footprint. 
This is the first year, though, that the FHA is taking this federal subsidy. Kergolanti said that the reverse mortgages and losses from 2007 through 2009 were causing the most strain to the agency. The letter does not say if these losses are from single-family and multifamily, but I will note that in an April newsletter, Galanti said that pre-2009 single-family loans were stressing the agency. It's likely that these are the loans she's referring to in Friday's letter. I should also note that Congress passed legislation in July to amend the reverse mortgage program. HUD is in the process of implementing those changes. Galante added that the amount also provides an inaccurate picture of FHA's portfolio because it's based on numbers from December. She said that the agency's numbers have improved since then. Now, several members of Congress used the subsidy announcement to support the Protecting American Taxpayers and Homeowners, or PATH Act. The PATH Act would stop providing money to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and adjust the FHA's mission and lending practices. Now, as we continue into fiscal year 2014, Debates about FHA's role will most likely continue, and we'll bring you updates as things develop. I also have one other update from HUD. Last week, HUD announced that the fiscal year 2014 multifamily mortgage insurance premiums will be the same as those in fiscal year 2013. The upfront insurance premium amount charged for FHA mortgage insurance for the refinance of existing properties that don't have loan housing tax credits is generally 50 basis points whereas low-income housing tax credit finance properties generally charge 45 basis points. That said, the broader range is 45 to 95 basis points, depending on property type and loan program. Now, HUD won't seek any public comments on the mortgage insurance premiums this year because that's only required when there are premium changes. This notice is effective today, October 1st, and you can review the notice at the Affordable Housing Resource Center. In new market tax credit news, U.S. Representative Steve Stivers and Mike Mashad have asked their fellow representatives to sign a letter that's addressed to House Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp and Ranking Member Sandy Levin that expresses their support for permanently extending the new market tax credit along with increased allocation authority. This letter would be sent to Camp and Levin as they consider tax reform. Representative Stivers and Mashad are circling the letter because Chairman Camp is targeting releasing a tax reform bill later this month. The Congressman hoped to get members who are not on the Ways and Means Committee to sign this letter. Now, the letter does highlight some of the New Market Tax Credit's accomplishments since 2003, accomplishments most of our listeners are already aware of, like creating more than 350,000 jobs and leveraging more than $55 billion in capital investment to underserved communities. The letter does not commit co-signers, by the way, to supporting all permanent tax credits. It says that they support a tax code overhaul that would bring more transparency and fairness to all sectors of the economy while expressing support for the new market tax credit. Now, strong bipartisan support for the new market tax credit is important to current tax reform discussions, discussions in which Congress could eliminate some or all tax credits. Now, administratively, representatives have until October 9th to sign the letter. We encourage you to reach out to your members of Congress and encourage them to sign on to the letter. And those of you interested in the New Market Tax Credit should also consider joining me at the Novogratic New Markets Tax Credit Conference in New Orleans on October 10th and 11th. 
There, we'll discuss tax reform and other issues that could affect the new market's tax credit. And hopefully, we won't be discussing a government shutdown. You can register at www.novaco.com events. I hope to see you there. In historic tax credit news, I'd like to share the results of a recent study on historic tax credits in African-American communities. The Historic Tax Credit Coalition and the National Trust for Historic Preservation last week released a report on the positive impact of the credits. Entitled Federal Historic Tax Credit Projects in Predominantly African-American Neighborhoods, the report reveals the credit's importance and the positive economic effect it's had in predominantly African-American communities. The report uses information from a report released by Rutgers University and the National Park Service a few months ago. It provides information about the historic tax credit program on a national scale. This prior release report does. Now, this new study takes that data and shows how the program influences historic rehabilitation in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. These neighborhoods are in Atlanta, New York, Cleveland, Chicago, and Charleston, South Carolina. In these cities, congressional districts, the percentage of historic tax credit projects located in African-American neighborhoods ranged from 25% to 89%. This study found that in these markets, the historic tax credit program has restored 78 historic buildings, created more than 8,500 jobs, and attracted $571 million in private investment. These 78 developments generated local development expenditures ranging from $35 million to $187 million each. In Cleveland alone, nearly $28 million in historic tax credits enabled rehabilitations totaling $167 million. They also note that every $1 of taxpayer money spurred $6 in private investment. Regarding jobs, the renovation projects created 2,737 jobs. John Lee Thetrell, president of the National Trust Community Investment Corporation, said in a press release that this study provides proof of the credit significance and significant economic impact that it provides in underserved communities. Tanya Powers, director for diversity at the National Trust, agreed. She also added that the credit is an important tool that helps preserve the historic fabric of African-American communities across the country. As I mentioned, this new study does draw from information from the fiscal year 2012 report. You can find a copy of the report online at the Historic Tax Credit Resource Center. Now, I'd also like to mention that today is the first day that Alabama will take applications for its new state historic tax credit. The program provides a 25% credit for rehabilitation expenditures on qualified historic structures. You can find more information about the program on Novogratz State Historic Tax Credit page. That page includes a summary of Alabama's new program. It also includes information about 34 other states that have historic tax credit programs or have introduced legislation to create them. You can access the page at www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have any questions about historic tax credits, I encourage you to contact my partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Hopefully, it won't be subtitled Government Shutdown Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. 
Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradic and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogradic and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.